welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. Usually, I record this program on either a Thursday or a Friday, just before the Saturday in which I publish it. But this week, somehow, I'm not quite sure how, I got either distracted or purely lazy, and didn't get to it before Saturday. And then today, the day on which I normally publish, I had a special occasion, if you will. Every year, uh, several of the parishioners of my parish, St. Victor's, will go at uh, this time of the year, March, to Holy Cross Cemetery in Culver City to do the rosary and the divine chaplet at the grave of our former pastor, Reverend Monsignor Jeremiah Murphy, who died in March, actually March 1st, 2017. And then in August, we also go to the grave of another of our former pastors, the prior pastor to Father Murphy, Reverend Monsignor George Parnassus, and pray the rosary and the divine mercy at his grave. And then we switch and we go to the other person's grave and just do the divine mercy and a few extra prayers. And that's what we did today. And I had the opportunity also to reconnect with a couple of friends uh, who showed up at the cemetery and we went to lunch at a lovely little French place. I think it was called Chef Josette on Cochran. And I highly recommend it, by the way. It was just a really good breakfast, a small little place, very neighborhoody. And so I suppose, um, though I am doing this late, it sort of leads into the topic of today, which is uh, about happiness. And I guess I would call it, are we happy now? I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of people with whom I discuss the subject of happiness, mine or theirs. I have had a couple of such friends over the long haul of years, but mostly it's something I think about by myself a great deal and struggle with. In fact, probably like many of the rest of humanity. And for what it is worth, many people I know are not happy. I was thinking about happiness in reference to having gone and done the rosary at and of course before that we went to mass and then uh, going to lunch with some friends and I was thinking was I happy during all of that I would say yes I wouldn't say it was any kind of refulgence of happiness but it was pleasant maybe it was more a pleasant amiable nice to be with people I haven't seen in a while people I enjoy but it's sort of I guess how we would look at thinking about happiness is that it's kind of a, a first world problem. I mean, if you live in many places on the earth, you don't have the luxury of thinking about your happiness because you're just trying to survive from one day to the other. So I'm even a little ashamed if you must know that I have the wherewithal to think about whether or not I am or am not happy. I've got a roof over my head, I have an income, the ability to buy food, and even some very unnecessary sundries. I am grateful, I think. But am I 
And if you have what I have, or if you don't, would you say that you are happy? So, as is my wont, I've gone off first to the dictionary. Here are some synonyms for grateful. That's what came up first for me from dictionary.com. Thankful, pleased, beholden, indebted, gratifying, acceptable, good, favorable, obliged, gratified, agreeable, comforting, congenial, delectable. I don't know. Grateful, delectable, delectable sort of sounds like a food sort of situation. Delicious, another food sort of reference. Delightful, desirable, pleasant, pleasurable, refreshing. Well, I can definitely say I was grateful for my time with my friends today. It was congenial. It was delectable because the food was really good. It was delightful to be with them. It was pleasant, refreshing. I haven't really been out much, so that was terrific. It was outdoors, a little chilly, but it was lovely. Anyway, I'm digressing. So then here are some synonyms for happy, also from dictionary.com. As an adjective, happier, happiest, delighted, pleased, glad over a particular thing, characterized by or indicative of pleasure, which is kind of like grateful, contentment or joy, willing to be helpful as with assistance, a contribution or participation, favored by fortune, fortunate or lucky, apt, felicitous, as in actions or utterances or ideas, I'm not sure that these definitions even help. The best that I can sort of assess the difference between, say, grateful and happy is that to be grateful is something of an intellectual application. I know as a relatively intelligent person that I have the good fortune, the blessing of having been born in a place where I do not generally have to worry about my daily needs. I'm grateful that, subject to the odd worldwide pandemic, I have the spare time to expend on rather useless, though superficially pleasurable pursuits like going to movies, concerts, museums, and today, happily, even though we are still in a pandemic, sort of, uh, lunching outside with some friends. Happy seems to be more of a state of being, or let me put it this way, it feels like a state of being. I've had the conversation with a rare friend, as I have said, where the observation has been made that there have been moments of the sense of the state of happiness, but that overall, happiness is elusive. I've had those thoughtful friends say to me that, in fact, he or she has never been happy. And I have to say, in truth, that is rather how I have felt in my own life. I've had moments of happiness. You could even say I've had many moments of happiness. But like most people, I struggle with a variety of anxieties, the paradoxical benefit and burden of living in this prosperous country. And those anxieties have largely gotten in the way of my being happy. My late father, 
himself not the happiest guy and with more reason than I ever have had to be unhappy in terms of you know, growing up in the depression having a rather difficult father lots of kids not a lot of money um, not a lot of education he managed to get his education really going to World War II because he spent time overseas and came back and was able to go on the GI Bill and get the education he would not otherwise have gotten. But he used to say that I reminded him with my laments, my anxieties that I used to unfortunately burden him with and not too many other people. Uh, maybe I would say one other person in my life uh, I did burden with them, but that was his job to be burdened, which was a therapist. Uh, was that I was kind of like the guy in Little Abner who walked around with a perpetual rain cloud over his head. In a way, implicit in conversations that I might have with someone making these observations is that we may have an apparent expectation of happiness as we go through this life. And I'm certain that I, we are not alone in that implicit expectation. I'm not sure it's something that makes a lot of sense given the realities of life. But after all, even our Declaration of Independence, happiness is posited as an unalienable right. It's big stuff something that's pertinent and endemic to our existence as Americans. Well, actually, it does not say happiness is the right. It says that the pursuit of happiness is the right. I might be all over the place in this podcast, as so often I am. I take refuge in the fact, and as an explanation, that human existence itself is all over the place. So, what can I or anyone expect for a half-hour-ish podcast by this me, very, very, very ordinary person and Catholic that I am? And this ordinary Catholic suddenly thought of the Baltimore Catechism, the one that I learned from pre-Vatican II, the one with the blue cover. I went online to see if I could get the exact one that I had when I was a child. I obviously don't have my original copy. I wish I did. I do have my St. Joseph's Missal, though, which has the Latin and the English on each side. The Mass that I grew up with up to the age of about seven or eight, maybe nine, before the Novus Ordo. As to the Baltimore Catechism, I went online to see if I could get the exact one that I had when I was a child. I wasn't sure which was which. There seemed to have been several iterations, but I did find a Kindle version and downloaded it. I remembered in particular one question and one answer, the sixth question, as it happens in the Catechism, why did God make you? The answer, God made me to know him, to love him, and to serve him in this world, and to be happy with him forever in the next. How did I not notice something in all the years that this phrase has no doubt rattled around my brain and soul? Happiness comes at least in that definition, after knowing God, after loving him, and after serving him in this world. Happy comes with him in the next. Hmm. What does this mean? No happiness now in this world? So I left my Kindle version of the old Baltimore Catechism and I googled as follows. Happiness 
and the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Now remember, there is a larger version of the Baltimore Catechism with far more explanation. Many people have it in hardcover or softcover. And uh, technology is marvelous because it brought up an intratext concordance of how many times the word happiness or happy is actually used in the full catechism. As best as I could assess in doing the intratext review, happiness comes up 28 times and happy four and happily one. So the very first mention at part one, section one, chapter one, paragraph 27. The desire for God is written in the human heart because man is created by God and for God, and God never ceases to draw man to himself. Only in God will he find the truth and happiness he never stops searching for. Part 1, Section 1, Chapter 1, Paragraph 30. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Although man can forget God or reject him, he never ceases to call every man to seek him, so as to find life and happiness. But this search for God demands of man every effort or intellect, a sound will, an upright heart, as well as the witness of others who teach him to seek God. I'm going to skip a little bit, if you'll permit me, to part 1, section 2, chapter 1, paragraph 384. Revelation makes known to us the state of original holiness and justice of men and women before sin. From their friendship with God flowed the happiness of their existence in paradise. Part 1, Section 2, Chapter 3, Paragraph 1024. This perfect life with the Most Holy Trinity, this communion of life and love with the Trinity, with the Virgin Mary, the angels, and all the blessed, is called heaven. Heaven is the ultimate end and fulfillment of the deepest human longings the state of supreme definitive happiness. Part 3, section 1, chapter 1, paragraph 1718 about the desire for happiness. The Beatitudes respond to the natural desire for happiness. This desire is of divine origin. God has placed it in the human heart in order to draw man to the one who alone can fulfill it. We all want to live happily. In the whole human race, there is no one who does not assent to this proposition, even before it is fully articulated. How is it, then, that I seek you, Lord? Since in seeking you, my God, I seek a happy life, let me seek you so that my soul may live, for my body draws life from my soul, and my soul draws life from you. God alone satisfies. Part 3, Section 2, Chapter 2, Paragraph 2548. Desire for true happiness frees man from his immoderate attachment to the goods of this world so that he can find his fulfillment in the vision and beatitude of God. The promise of seeing God surpasses all beatitudes. In Scripture, to see is to possess. Whoever sees God has obtained all the goods of which he can conceive still kind of hard to get a grasp on all of this, even as you read these various definitional aspects. The word happiness is used, and it's hard to see, to grasp what happiness feels like. 
maybe that's the whole reality is that we forget that we are limited creatures we try to tell ourselves we're not and as limited creatures we cannot do anything I recently have been trying to study Aquinas albeit very very slowly and one of the things he talks about uh, is is defining God and referencing God and referencing anything spiritual we can't do it directly really because we are so inadequate as creatures we can only do it by analogy so anything that I could express about what happiness as iterated in these paragraphs would be totally inadequate won't express what it is if I'm getting it happiness is the beatific vision once we finish with our judgments and hopefully reach the state of heaven there are people who I've heard say well it's got to be pretty boring because you know you're sitting on some cloud with a harp and you know there's nothing really to do and what's the big deal about heaven heaven is probably kind of dull but that's the problem with our human limitations our mental limitation is that we define everything in terms of ourselves and we cannot begin to imagine what the expanse of infinity is in the Lord and maybe because we can't either imagine it or can't feel it here with all the struggle we deny its existence and allow our unhappiness or allow the struggle to inhibit the direction toward happiness now for someone who does not believe in God I suppose the question is is this all bunk they probably would say so are you the non-believer happy without him well looking at the news I'd say that look at all those people with with power with money with fame I mean we we hear this all the time they don't seem particularly happy they're often you know addicted to drugs they're often suicidal not to say that other people are not but the things that are supposed to satisfy at least in the worldly sense simply don't there are people who have written entire books saying that they are happy without God right the Richard Dawkins the Christopher Hitchens the Stephen Hawking's the Ayn Rand's a lot of people think Ayn Rand is a conservative what she really is is purely selfish a lot of sort of libertarian ideas come out of her but basically she is not particularly pro-religion she's not particularly pro-god she's pro-human capacity to achieve and to basically eradicate or to ignore anyone who isn't as capable anyway my guess is that those folks would say that they are happy indeed freed of all that BS that is religious obligation and anything or anyone to whom or to which to be subservient but as Dennis Prager has often noted and I realize that since he is conservative politically a lot of people tend to shut out anything he might say but little old me ordinary me has observed the same thing in my less than famous travels that people who don't like religion or ignore religion or mock religion will substitute something for religious belief that looks a whole lot like religious belief and is probably just as outrageous as the very thing that they claim is impossible 
or something about which they do not have the outer limits of knowledge. For example, a Dawkins, science. Science is the god through which happiness might be found, or communism, or atheism, or pragmatism, or humanism. They take the centrality that religion has filled previously. Since I do believe in God, I'm not sure that I can look at things from their perspective. I have to go back to what draws me and what draws another large part of humanity. And I guess I have to go back to that phrase in the Declaration of Independence because that is what it all seems to be about. Our existence is indeed a struggle, and it is a struggle for something that seems to have been lost, original happiness. I felt the flash of it in the midst of the struggle, original happiness I mean, often in nature, by water, watching a baby, or watching the antics of an animal. And the flash makes me sure that such happiness is out there, as it were. The very struggle to get to something called happiness, a state of being, makes sense because of that goal. The occasional experience of it, like almost a memory, like a deja vu, if you will, demonstrates that the state exists. Although I know people say, well, it's about some firing of your neurons that really explain why you're feeling that way. Well, that may be, but another explanation is certainly just as realistic. It always seems to be something beyond the tangible, though visible through the tangible. And then it's gone, and there is only the struggle. And the absence of the transient happiness that seems... It ought to be permanent. You just know it ought to be permanent. Pursuit. We are pursuing that which we know, that we feel in the depths of our being should be there, but mostly is not, that we only glance occasionally, but which should be our raison d'etre, our reason to be. One could say, at least that's what I'm saying, that in coming to earth and in dying and resurrecting, he was pursuing the happiness for us that we lost and we threw away. And now we follow him in a pursuit where the end of happiness, that is the connection, the full connection with God, the connection that he has both as God and man becomes possible again where it had been indeed paradise lost. We're not happy now, but if we pursue it in its purest form, that is, the God who created us, who is synonymous with happiness, we can in fact feel happiness again. Not just in passing glances, but as fully as it was when man walked with God in the garden. In the struggle is the call of God to seek him and to find him where he waits. This is all easy to say. It's definitely not easy in experience and in practice. I would say that I am in the bell curve, uh, in a really bad spot on the bell curve in terms of my ability to pursue the struggle to happiness. Two experiences or observations or whatever one might want to call them intervened um, a couple of days ago as I was thinking about this podcast 
trying to grasp something that has eluded humanity since the fall. I have lately become a fan of Jordan Peterson. He's a clinical psychologist, a professor, a writer, a YouTube personality who who went from obscurity to great fame and then, of course, a certain level of infamy because he has been consigned, despite his obvious nuance and complexity, to the heap of being a right-winger by they who know better than anyone else. His ethical bents are traditionalist, probably, but they're not readily categorized. Though he has written and lectured on the Bible and debated in the area of religion, specifically Christianity, he apparently has not taken up to here the final step toward professed belief. He's been kind of equivocal about it. Or maybe he hasn't even taken the first step to belief. I don't know. He has been sick in the last year or so, very sick, and he disappeared for a time from the media, but in the last few weeks he's roared back. I discovered a couple of nights ago uh, various interviews. One was with a gentleman named Jonathan Pajot, and I only watched probably about 15 minutes of it. I need to watch the rest of it, but when you listen to a conversation with Jordan Peterson and someone else, you really need to have your thinking cap on. And uh, I tend to watch these things before I go to sleep, which is probably not the best thing to do. And in this particular conversation, even in the part I have seen, you could touch the struggle of the man of Jordan Peterson. Where will it lead? I don't know, but he is certainly in the eye of a stormy search. This quote I'm going to read to you gave me actual shivers, as if I was seeing someone in the pursuit of happiness, struggling with the pursuit of happiness, that is God, that is Christ. And it's interesting that other places, other entities, journalists, religious journalists mostly, uh, noticed it as well. Uh, one was Crisis Magazine that said, Has Jordan Peterson finally found Christ? which was a few days ago, it's kind of like watching a volcanic percolation of faith in a way that you might normally just read in a history book about someone long past. It's watching someone dealing with the very things you're dealing with, but in a way that is already far more profound than, than you have managed. Remember that uh, Bishop Barron has among others, pointed to the fact that all these other myths that we tend to use to, to dismiss the reality of Christianity are actually pointing to Christianity as the, quote, true myth. And that's something of the quote here. C.S. Lewis pointed this out, that the difference between Christ and the mythological gods was that there is a representation a historical representation of Christ as well. You can debate whether or not this is genuine. There is still a historical story, an actual person who actually lived. The problem is, and this is Jordan Peterson speaking, I probably believe that, but I don't know. I am amazed at my own belief and I don't understand it. I believe it is undeniable. The objective world and the narrative world touch and I've seen this many times, and the ultimate example of that is supposed to be Christ, and that seems to me oddly plausible. 
I still don't know what to make of it, partly because it is too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't know what would happen to you if you believed it. This sort of circles around to the Eucharist because we've talked about in this program and plenty of theological people who are actual theological people have talked about how Christians, how Catholics, Catholic Christians view the Eucharist and the sort of casual way that they view it. But in this quote where he says, I don't know what would happen to you if you believed it. If we really believed that God was present in the Eucharist or present in any way, we would behave very differently than we do in this modern world. God in our mouth, God in our hand, God, happiness itself in our bodies. If we really, really believed it, it is terrifying. And that's what I like about Jordan Peterson as he explores what he believes, is that he recognizes the awesomeness of that in which he is search, or that of which he is in search. A concomitant thought that occurred to me out of the blue, a couple actually, that we must die for happiness. Jesus died for our happiness, and the desire always there, both before and after the fall, for that original happiness is what he tells us, what he points to by his life and death as something to pursue. It's like the salmon that must swim upstream. That's what we're doing. We must swim toward happiness. The other event, the other thing happening, observation that intervened, I have attended early Mass the last few days, and those who know me know that early mornings are not my favorite. But because one of the regular electors has been unable to serve, I have been there sharing the duties with another lector at the 8.30 a.m. Mass during the weekend and today before I went to the cemetery with my friends. Before the Mass, the gathered parishioners say the rosary. I sat each time in the sanctuary, and while looking at the tabernacle and the crucifix above it, I thought, I can't say that I am happy as I sit here, but for certain I am pursuing happiness, and that happiness is before me, present, always and everywhere. In the sanctuary, I am at the threshold of definitive happiness, and that happiness, again, is God. But because of sin, the struggle to stay and accept the call and keep moving towards the call is extremely hard. And while I tell myself that I don't care for the things of the world, the things that are shadows of happiness, or things that aren't happiness but are disguised as happiness, they all still cling to me, or I to them. So anytime I pray the litany of humility, I am profoundly aware of the grasp of the things of the world on me, despite all my church going and my claims of belief. In a way, when I look at Jordan Peterson, who is struggling towards something in his way, there's something more, I don't want to say more thoughtful, but he is very thoughtful. There's something cosmic about what he's doing and I'm sort of lagging behind him even though I'm within the church. I'm kind of behind him in recognizing the enormity of the end result of God or the search for God. 
And that's one thing also I'd like to share with Mr. Peterson, that even if he comes to an ascent to belief, the struggle won't end. The pursuit will continue right through unto death itself. And unfortunately, it is always ourselves, me, who gets in the way. I resist him and thus block his happiness, he who is happiness. I can't do it on my own, but I do have an obligation to maintain an intense focus on the, call it the prize, the end goal, the moment of complete freedom, happiness, which equals God. But that's why the Catholic Church is so wise in its seven sacraments. Because when I have sat in the sanctuary, when I have participated in the celebration of the Mass by the priest, that's one place that I'm given a strength I simply do not have on my own. An invisible but incredibly real grace. And interestingly, when I was at the cemetery, um, between our visits from one priest to the other, late priest to the other, we had a priest with us, uh, Father Lopez, who is a wonderful 90-something-year-old priest who has been very much active at St. Victor's. And uh, although he is retiring, will continue to be. And I wanted to go to confession. I had wanted to for several days. Uh, I would say that the sins, I certainly can rationalize very realistically and very truthfully that while they may have been serious matters, they were none of them done with the intention that is required to say, I don't care what I'm doing, I'm going to do this. They were, I don't want to say they were accidents, but they were <laughs> reflexive, let's call it that way. But the need to go to confession was really powerful. I didn't want to die with these issues, these sins, these, these, these weaknesses uh, on my soul. And I knew that I needed to do this because it's the only way to set me back on the road toward happiness. Even if I haven't gotten there yet, and maybe I won't get there till after I leave purgatory and I get to see the, the beatific vision of the Lord. But it became such an essential for me because what I do want is that which I do not yet have which is perfect happiness. And I cannot imagine looking at the world around me that it is other than God, because if it isn't God, it is nothing. And I cannot accept that there is nothing. And while that view in modern times is somewhat humored, if you will, or laughed at, there's a lot of history behind the view that I have, the Aquinas's, the Augustines, and I think I would throw my, I would throw my lot with them, than I would with anyone in the modern world, or anyone on the internet, or anyone in politics, or anyone who thinks that man is the measure of all things. To the extent I am not happy, it's because I'm looking in the wrong place. I'm looking in all sorts of extraneous locations. The Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy has this little quote that I really like. And it says, and by the way, this again is Aquinas that I'm trying to study and one of the attributes of God. God is simple. Not simple the way we human beings define simple. He 
and this again is from the Stanford Encyclopedia Philosophy, he transcends every form of complexity and composition familiar to the discursive intellect. In his simplicity, the happiness that he is has to be boundless. And if it is, then how can we not seek it? This happiness is possible. He has shown us how to get it. We just have to not be like the young man and walk away disappointed or discouraged, no matter how much tempted to what we are. And that's why we need the Catholic Church. And that's why we need the seven sacraments, because we need the grace constantly to be able to navigate the terrible obstacles that are put in our way by the result of sin and by the devil who loves our sins and in his lies seeks our unhappiness, our eternal unhappiness. We can't let that happen. So pray, so don't give up, so go to mass, so become a Catholic, do whatever you have to do to achieve the happiness eternally that will be beyond imagination. I'm always a little embarrassed when I do these kinds of episodes because I don't do any of the things I'm exhorting others to do or hoping that others will do or praying that others will do. I'm struggling so much myself and that's why I guess I kind of like doing this because I'm talking to myself <laughs> as well as to you. I'm encouraging myself as well as you, other ordinary Catholics and those otherwise in search. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you have a happy weekend, even if it's just transient. But always remember that God is out there to give us all that we need. We just have to believe it.